Well, good morning. Uh, the Advent season is speeding along all too quickly. As we've been reminded today, this is the third Sunday, uh, bringing us to the theme of uh, the gift of grace. We've been talking about the, the gifts of Christmas, and this morning, the gift of grace. Grace. What does the word mean to you? I like Pastor Ed's little slogan that he puts on his email when he signs his name. And at the bottom, after his name, he writes, By grace alone. That's a great message. Now, I want to take us to one uh, verse in the Bible this morning, and it's right back to the Gospel of John. I think there's a magnet in our Bible these days that keeps attracting us to the Gospel of John. I'm going to read the verse, and uh, then it seems like I'm going to leave it hanging for a very long time, but I want to assure you that I will return and try to connect the dots. So here it is, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, you know it very, very well. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Grace is uh, one of those marvelous words found in the Bible that still maintains high-level impact. It's, it's, it's one of those words that has not lost its meaning nor its punch. Someone called it the last best word because it still maintains the richness of the original meaning. Uh, we're kind of inclined to think that the good things of life come to us because of our own making. We, we create them. And uh, we, we know, though, that when we stand back, ultimately, it's the grace of God. It's the hand of God. It's the favor of God that keeps us steady and strong throughout life. And we've been witness to that so much in the last 12 years in the life of this congregation. We might say, well, we did this and we did that and, and all of that. But I think we all know what it has been, that it's been grace. It's been grace all along the way. And that's why it's been such a thrill to be part of this congregation for the last 12 years. It's been God's grace, and it continues to be His grace as God places us so pivotally in this community. True, it's a word uh, that gets used in a lot of different contexts. You might gather around your uh, table this evening and before supper, someone says grace. It's a prayer of thanks for the provision of our daily needs. We simply call it grace. A composer of music may add some grace notes to the score. There are those extra notes that add a little flair and a little richness to the song. It's, it's the grace notes that bring the song to life, make it live. And then there are some publishers that use the term gracing. They have a policy of gracing. If I sign up for 12 issues of a magazine, I may receive a few extra copies even after my subscription has expired. What are they doing? They're gracing me. They're, and that's not too far away from the original meaning of grace. Grace. Undeserved favor. Grace. Unmerited favor. Grace. Gracious love. Forgiveness. Strength. 
the favor of God. God doing something in us that we can't do for ourselves. What a word. Now, maybe the last best word. And what could be better for us, especially when we're struggling? Or if you're here and you're feeling wounded today? And are you feeling rejected? Then there's that word grace. Grace. The world is short on grace. There are times when it feels like it just takes one little old match to light a fuse to blow up this planet. It feels so volatile. We say the world is like a powder keg. And then, and then things cool down a little bit and the fuse seems to get a little longer and the match gets put out of sight and we go on. Uh, once again, in, our, in, in these, this season of life, our, our world seems to be filled with a lot of tension. And grace seems badly lacking as parents and as leaders of nations call for ISIS leaders to be merciful. These are our children. These are our children that you are beheading. This is my son that is kneeling before you and you are standing with a knife ready to end his existence? Where is the mercy? Where is the grace? What is this about a young loner this week who joined the ISIS movement and, and uh, videoed back to Canada for men and women to take out as many as you can back in Canada? Who applauds the, the death of two of our Canadian soldiers and calls for more? A young man who grew up in near the town where Pastor Norb and I served years ago who wants a holy jihad in Canada. What is that? Where's the grace? And in Ferguson, tension is boiling over. And now in New York, and the words, I can't breathe, are the cry of a people who are saying, where is grace for us? Where is justice? Where's the mercy? And our role as a church is to pronounce with the Apostle Paul that the gospel is a gospel of God's grace. Paul said, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the, of the grace of God. The good news of God's grace. What does that look like today? What is the church to be known for? We are dispensers of grace. We are those who point to the grace of God. And I like Gordon MacDonald's words. He says, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Where else can the world go to find grace? And I smiled this week as I read the little comment that a veterinarian 
can learn a lot about a dog owner he has never met just by observing the dog. I had to think about that for a moment. That a veterinarian or a pet groomer can observe a lot about the owner by just observing their dog. As I thought about it, I'm sure they're looking at the characteristics of how relaxed that dog is. Maybe how obedient that dog is. Uh, How trusting that dog is. And of course, that says a lot about the owner of a dog, that you've trained the dog in that capacity. But the question is, what does the world learn about God by watching his followers on this earth? I think that's the issue that's simmering in the back of my mind this morning, that I'm I'm just working around it as I try to communicate that this morning. What does the world learn about God by watching his followers? You know, people have quite the perception of church these days. And they have challenging perceptions of Christians these days. And mainly we are understood by what we are against rather than what we are for. Someone said, why would I want to go to church? I already am feeling terrible about myself. Church would just make me feel worse. And when I heard that, I just, I just have to say, if that's how we are communicating, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that message comes across. And some of the books that I'm, I'm reading and some of the conversations that I'm having these days, I've just been really troubled about how we represent our faith to others. I'm not talking about TCC. I'm looking from a much larger perspective, a more global 30,000-foot perspective. You know, I wish we had time to go out into our community and do a little interviewing, play a little video clip back here on the screen of some interviews. The question being, how do you view Christians today? How do you view the church? I think we would have some very honest responses. And responses maybe that we're not even prepared for. It's it's always good to open our hearts and our minds so that we have a better perception of who we are and who we represent. It's very possible that amidst our best intentions, people do not hear our message as good news. They don't hear the message as good news. The good news of grace. They somehow do not hear our message as, as the gospel that cuts through to the heart of, and, and brings joy and peace and hope and love. Someone said they hear our message as Sharia law. Really? You hear it that way? The George Barna Research Group has surveyed and in the last 13 years, it's, it's uh, quite a dramatic increase in negativity toward the Christian faith. I can't really unpack why in the last 13 years, uh, but this is, these are the findings. And the typical response is that we are seen as anti-everything, and therefore we're very judgmental. A research group based in Phoenix was surprised to encounter the degree of abuse directed towards Christians 
antagonism that went far beyond a difference of opinion on issues. According to the company president, evangelicals were called illiterate, greedy, psychos, racist, narrow-minded, fanatics, delusional, simpletons, pompous. Oh, I better quit. This is awful. That's just a partial list. I, I take that with a grain of salt. I do. But on the other hand, perception is perception is perception. And I don't want to dismiss that. Oftentimes these comments come out of complete misunderstanding or hearsay. Or their comments are based on some wacko Christian group that's way off here on the right or maybe way off here on the left. And they make the most ridiculous judgmental statements. And we all pay for that. Of course, maybe some who respond with indifference to Christians have never really come to know a Christian, a Christ follower. Never really, never really come to know the heart of, of someone that follows Christ sincerely and what they believe. But they just know that they just know that they just know that they just don't like the Christian faith or they don't like this judgmental spirit. Well, all of this leaves me with a, a sadness in my heart. And I expect you feel that way too. So when I thought of the gift of grace, I thought of the reality of the world that we live in and some of the barriers that we're up against. And as I talk to my neighbor just a few doors down, he tells me that he has no time of day for the Christian faith or the church. And he has no problem saying it. He's no problem saying that. Something has happened in his life to make him feel that way. And I wonder how many, 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 many more there are. We rarely talk about the upcoming sermon in our staff meetings on Monday mornings. Uh, but this week we did. And I appreciated the thought that reminds us that there needs to be a little grace for Christians as well. That we need to balance this. We, we are all wanting to grow. We are all wanting to put our roots down as followers of Christ. Do we do it perfectly? No. Do we make... Lots of mistakes? Yes. Lots of mistakes. Do we need to give grace to one another on our journey because we're all growing? Absolutely. What's the slogan? Be, pa be patient. God's not finished with me yet. God's not finished with me yet. So I'm reminding myself and I'm reminding you this morning of learning to grow in grace. L learning to be aware of how to connect with a world that needs Jesus and not make that chasm any greater than it needs to be? How can I be a grace giver? How can I say what I want to say and not personally create distance? Clearly the message of the gospel does cut a line through families and through friends because it is the good news and I know that. And you can either receive the good news or you can reject it. And when you speak the good news of Christ, Jesus said, I even did miracles, and they reject me even more. They're still against me.
Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. So I understand the gospel will separate. I just say as long as it's the gospel that's doing the dividing and it's not me, that's my concern. So how did Jesus handle this? Well, back to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 is the story of Christmas. The one who had been existing throughout eternity, throughout eternity past. And that one would come to this world, would be reduced to an embryo, a fetus, a baby. And verse 10 of John 1 says that he came into the very world he created. Isn't that amazing? He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He wasn't what they expected. What did they expect? They expected a mighty ruler brandishing a sword. They expected one who would come in and dominate the world. He would conquer the enemies. He would set up control right here on this earth. And he would truly be the Messiah who would reign forever and ever. But he didn't come like that. So they weren't ready for him. It caught them off guard. I say as a metaphor, they were looking for a fastball, but he sent them a slider. And they didn't get it. They missed it. He came preaching grace. He came very ordinary. A loving, gracious man with 12 guys tagging along behind him who loved him dearly. But his own did not receive him. The leaders, those in the know, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the muckety-buck of the day, they completely missed it. Who is this guy that says that he and the Father are one? Delusional. But some did get it. Verse 12. But to all who believed him, John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. There were some who understood who Jesus was. Oh, by the way, that's how it has been throughout all generations. God's work will always be done by a minority. Next time you kind of feel like you're alone in your journey, alone at the office, alone at the school, alone wherever you, you, you hang out during the day, you're in good company. Rarely is the majority ever right, especially in the area of being faithful and committed to Christ and really understanding who He is. Rarely. But to all who believed Him, to all who welcomed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Have you welcomed Him? Have you received Him? Do you know who He really is? Some people take a good long while to ponder that question. It takes some people months. It, I mean, it takes some people years. It takes some people 
decades, all of their life. Often people have to go through the depths of difficulty and loss and struggle. Then they see that they can't make it on their own. Sometimes their lives get shipwrecked. They crash onto the sandbars of brokenness. Lives are hurting. Our sin and our brokenness is overwhelming. And we wonder, where is the reason to go on? What hope do I have? How do I make sense out of all of this? And it's in the depth of our despair that we find grace. Grace. We find the good news of the, of the grace of God. Unmerited favor. God doing something in us that we can't do for ourselves. His undeserved goodness. But in the end, we have to come to see that our need is so great that the only answer to our sin and our shame is the grace of God. By grace alone. By grace alone. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, that's grace. You get to be a child of God. Not because of what you've done, but because of the grace of God. The Father calls you his child. That's grace. Does it mean that we stop sinning? No. Like our staff said, we need grace all along the, the way. We don't suddenly become great models of perfection. I guess not. It would be nice to say yes, but let's be honest. No. It simply means that the grace of God is at work in our lives. And through His grace, we come to know the Savior. And verse 14. Isn't it a great verse? We've come to love the way Eugene Peterson phrases it. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We've seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only son. Yesterday I spoke with a, a friend at an event that hadn't seen him for, for quite a while, and he shared that uh, he had the wonderful privilege of being on a sailboat uh, for three weeks, a large sailboat that he and seven other guys, and they, they went all the way from Hawaii to Victoria in a three-week journey. Eight guys, four sleeping, four on deck. Then they would rotate, four sleeping, four on deck. Quite an experience. And he said, to take the night shift, to take the night shift, the stars at night in the ocean are, are beyond imagination. He said, I saw more shooting stars than I'll ever see again, just, just one after another. And the glory of the firmament, the glory of God in the heavens, he said, it, it is a memory that he's tucked away for the rest of his life. Beautiful, beautiful. What was that glory that shone in Jesus? Which probably everyone saw as they came in contact with him. You know, we don't even have to guess for that answer. 
Jesus tells us exactly, or John tells us exactly, that he was, he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's the glory of God. Jean Baliveau, number four of the Montreal Canadiens. There he is. Was laid to rest on Wednesday. The tributes that have come in for Jean Baliveau are just absolutely fantastic. His life, I know, can't be compared to the life of our Savior. But there's an interesting lesson that can be learned through his life. Jean Baliveau was one of the greatest players to ever put on skates and play the game of hockey. He was a master. He was meant to play hockey. And his reputation is legendary because of his hockey skills. But what makes him even more legendary is the kind of life that he lived. He was a class act from start to finish. He was the kindest man you would ever want to meet. He was respectful and courteous and honoring. And as some said when you met him, he didn't talk about himself, but he always inquired about you. How are you doing? And one person even used the word, his life had a grace about it. His life had a grace about it. So if I could be as bold as to phrase it this way, the glory of the man, his reputation, was tremendously enhanced by his life, by his kindness, by his humility, by his love, his genuine. And then think of Jesus. Now think of Jesus. Jesus came into the world He was completely on mission. The creator became the created. But what enhanced his message was the way he lived. He was full of grace and truth. And you have to note how John uses the word full. Full is quite a descriptive word. It's an interesting picture. What does the glory of God look like? It's something really, really big. It's a picture of Jesus overflowing with grace. And if you have a container as big as Jesus and is full of grace and truth, that's a lot of grace. It's a lot of grace. The glory of God in Jesus did not come to consume us, but rather the glory came full of grace and truth. Jesus came pouring out His grace, dumping His grace onto the world, and yet not compromising His truth. I expect there's a reason why John says grace and truth rather than truth and grace. The order is important. And that order is important as we live out our lives in the world. Maybe our perception, or maybe the perception out there would change if we started with grace. If we started with grace. Now, he could have come a different way. He could have decided to become flesh and come among us as a judge and an executioner. He could have. He he could have said, my patience has run out with these guys. There's no more grace. I'm done. I've been working with this planet for for centuries and centuries and we're not getting it. So time's up. I'm coming as a judge. 
I mean, we know one day he will come as a judge. But he didn't this time. Christmas is not about him coming as a judge. Far from it. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And that's all about grace. How did he come? He came with the glory of God all around him. And what did it look like? It looked like a man that was just overflowing with grace and truth. It was not a sentimental grace. It was not a wishy-washy grace. Uh, It was a costly grace, as Bonhoeffer often expressed, the German theologian and pastor. It It was a costly grace. It was a grace that was paired with truth. And where is this grace going to lead Jesus? The grace is going to lead him to truth. And the truth is going to lead him to the cross. Yeah, the grace is going to lead him to truth. And the truth is going to lead him to the cross. So it has to be grace and truth. God has to deal with sin. He has to deal with sin. It's his nature that he's holy. And he's faithful. And so God just can't say, oh, just forget about that. We'll just let bygones be bygones. I'm not even thinking about it. No, no. God must respond to sin, to the fact that his name has been trampled, to the fact that his purposes have been rejected, to the fact that, that uh, we have fallen short of his expectations, we have sinned, and God must respond to that. And he responds so graciously, so full of grace. So how does he deal with our sin? He clothes himself in flesh so he can die. As Norb prayed this morning, I just appreciated how he phrased that. He, he came so he could die. And the reason the word became flesh is that so when the Son of God goes to the cross and dies, grace could abound and truth could still be upheld. Jesus gets punished and we get the grace. Wow. Jesus gets punished and we get the grace. So, what does that teach us? What can we learn about touching our world today? Let me put it this way. First of all, be clear on our mission. Be clear on our mission. Uh, why are we here? What is our mission? The mission was clear for Jesus. He came to be redemptive. He came to forgive. He came to reach a, a, a people who didn't know him. We need to continually remind ourselves of why God has touched our lives. He has brought us into his family and we share his mission and we receive his commission to go into all the world and share the good news of grace. But first we need to remind ourselves of our mission because everything comes into alignment when we're clear on our mission. When we understand that God has all of us on a mission. Wherever he's placed you, you're on a mission. And so I have to ask, first of all, are you clear about that? Are you clear about your mission? 
Secondly, approach the mission like Jesus did, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. What does that look like? Jesus came as a servant. How can we serve our world? How can we enter into this world and be the hands and feet of Jesus? I mean, how do we model Philippians chapter 2, that passage that says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a servant. Wouldn't the world respond more effectively if we came alongside of them and served them and encouraged them and blessed them? Do they know our hearts? Do, we, do they know that we're for them and not against them? Remember what Jesus taught us in John chapter 13 to take a towel and a basin and enter the world in that mode. Wouldn't it break down a ton of barriers if we figured out how to serve our neighbors, how to bless them, our family members, my neighbor? how to encourage them, how to support them. Thirdly, put grace first and then truth. Put grace first and then truth. They do go together. And the blessing of effective ministry is being a man or woman or a young person or a child who is full of grace but also full of truth. So imagine living in your community as a grace-filled person. Can we say to those who are struggling with the Christian faith, my friend, if I've been offensive to you, please forgive me. If our church has been offensive to you, please forgive us. See, most everyone highly respects someone who puts together grace and truth. Love, care, encouragement alongside of our own convictions. It's not a problem to have our own convictions. We all have our convictions, and that is truth as we understand it. But truth doesn't need to be a hammer. And when truth is combined with grace, it is very powerful. So the order is important, grace and truth. You will be with people this Christmas season who will not be too sure who you are. The barriers will be up. Break down the barriers with the grace that God has put in your heart. Your love, your heart, your understanding of mission. Be courageous with truth, but say it with grace. Jesus expressed truth in a sacrificial way on the cross. And maybe you can pave the way for others by being sacrificial. By willing to be willing to say, forgive me when I've been offensive. Forgive me for being uh, rude. For, forgive me for that little video outburst that got him nowhere. And clear the way to come into a relationship with Christ. We're gathering around the table of the Lord this morning. To give thanks for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. His truth took him to the cross where uh, he gave his life for us. 
He knocked all the barriers down, didn't he? And he paved the way for us to come to the Father. His body was placed on a cross. It was his love and his grace that kept him on the cross. His blood was spilled so that he could take our sin and forgive us and heal us and restore us. And I believe that you're rejoicing in your heart today, just like I am, for what Jesus has done. The Lord's Supper is a very simple meal to illustrate his love and grace and forgiveness. So take a piece of bread with us this morning and just let it remind you of his broken body. And just think grace. And just take the cup and let it remind you of his blood that was poured out for you. And just think, that's grace. And if you're unsure of where you're at on this journey, just be comfortable to allow the bread and the cup to pass. That's okay. It's a reminder for those who know Christ that grace abounds in their hearts. So I'm going to invite our servers to come if they would at this time. I'm going to invite uh, Barry to uh, lead us in prayer this morning. So uh, servers, would you come at this time?